My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch uh, on behalf of our church. want to welcome you to church this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, we want you to know we're so glad that you're here. You are loved and we would love to get to know you. And we're hoping that this is an encouragement and an inspiration in your life uh, this week. And if Antioch is your church home, welcome home. It's a joy to be with the people of God in the presence of God, singing the praises of God. We're going to start a new teaching series today called Anchor of Hope, Anchor of Hope. And to get there, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, This series is all about hope. And whether we realize it or not, we are creatures of hope, that our, our hopes that we have today fuel our lives tomorrow. The hope that we have right now is going to influence your week, your year. It's going to influence the trajectory of your life. And yet, there are so many things uh, that we all face each and every day, each and every week, each and every month that shake our hope, that challenge our hope, that make us feel like, I don't know, should I, uh, I guess I feel hopeless or have a crisis of hope. And so as important as this is, Uh, Jesus speaks right into our need for hope in the midst of an uncertain and changing world. That he is a reason for our hope that's like an anchor of hope that allows us to have a sure, steadfast hope and to carry hope into dark and desolate situations. So as we go through these texts uh, this week and in the coming weeks, I'm I'm hoping that we're getting built up in hope around Jesus as our anchor of hope. Before we uh, go to that, though, I wanted to give you an update on our spiritual growth initiative this year. Uh, In August, I shared with you uh, uh, what we wanted to be working on as a church this year, places that we felt like God was leading us to grow and develop, to become more uh, like Jesus and look more like him. Uh, And I called it Prepare the Feast for the City. And the idea behind this is that God has given everyone in our church, God has given everyone on the planet gifts in their life. He's put talents, he's put strengths. If you know Jesus, he's put the Holy Spirit within you. And we have gifts to bring, to offer to our world. And so what we wanted to do was to help our church know better our spiritual gifts, know better the things that God has put in your life these talents, these strengths that he wants to work through for his glory and the good of our city and our nation and the nations of the earth. We want to help everyone know those. And we want to challenge everyone to take those gifts and not just know about them, but begin to use them on one of the serve teams that our church does. These are kind of the primary ministry teams of our church here in our city. It's the way we minister to our city. So we're encouraging everyone to join a serve team so that you would take your gifts with your serve team, with other believers in unity, and be on mission. And our mission, as I said then, was not that the cushioning on our chairs gets nicer or that the air conditioner works better or worse, depending on your temperature, temperament, uh, but that we would be on mission for our city, that we would be on mission for people uh, living around us today who don't know Jesus, 
who don't know this anchor of hope, who don't have his power at work in their lives, people that wake up today and feel like either maybe they're disinterested in church, disinterested in Jesus, or Jesus disinterested in them, or the church is disinterested in them. Either way, they feel far from God, though God is not far from them. And we as his people, and we come together with our gifts, we make a feast together. And that feast is for our city particularly for people in our city who don't know Christ and don't know his healing power. And as we come together, we want to see lives transformed through using our gifts on mission together here in our city. That was the initiative. And so our hope was uh, that this year, starting in August and going to May, that everyone in our church would take some sort of step towards this, some sort of step of growth uh, and we lined some of them out. One of the things that we hoped uh, that we would grow in is knowing our spiritual gifts. So if Antioch Dallas is your church home, one of our goals this year for you is that you would know more about the gifts that God has put in your life. That everyone would join a serve team. That we would all partner together in serving Jesus and serving our city. And that together we'd use our gifts with our serve team on mission for the city. And that everyone who calls Antioch Dallas home would take a step somewhere in there this year, a step of growth. And so in the last two months, I just wanted to update you on some steps and to celebrate what God is doing. So since we shared this at the beginning of August, uh, we had 65 new people, not, not people who have been serving, but 65 new people say, I want to step up and I want to serve. That's amazing. Way to go. That's awesome. That's so exciting. 65 new people start serving in addition to the couple hundred other people already on serve teams. We had 49 people take the step to uh, register for Planted. Right, Planted is our two-part course that's happening right now that helps people kind of, especially when you're new to our church, helps us get to know you and explains how we want to help people grow in their relationship with God, grow closer to God. And we had 49 people sign up to go to Planted. That's really exciting too. And then one of the steps that we were challenging kind of on that continuum was if you were serving and you wanted more, felt like God was calling you to a next step to do the discipleship school. And we had 24 of you sign up to do the discipleship school. Uh, and that's been so exciting. We've been having class each and every Sunday night. And the Lord is moving in our mess. And so I just want to celebrate you stepping up. That's so exciting. So when you add all that up, that comes out to somewhere around 140 steps that different people in our church have taken in the last couple of months to grow in being servants, to grow in preparing the feast for the city. Way to go. You should give yourself a hand. That's exciting. Um, our hope is not that this would be kind of a two-month focus and then we forget about it and we move on. But our hope is that this year that we would all be taking steps. And so if it's been a while since you took a step or you were thinking about it and you are like, man, I just got busy or got sidetracked or whatever, there's still time and opportunity for you to jump in. We would love to help you grow in that journey. Uh, and you'll be hearing about more ways to take that step uh, just in each and every service because we want to help you in that. So we're going to continue to grow so that everyone takes a step. With that, though, we realize as we've been working on this that we need to make sure that we're aligning our staff energy uh, with the different things that we're trying to focus on. 
And as we sense the Lord highlighting our serve teams and the power and the value of serving together as disciples of Jesus, we knew we needed someone to provide leadership for our serve teams. So as we prayed about that, thought about that, talked about that, uh, the person that it was clear that we believe God was calling into that role was Donnie Tapey. Donnie's uh, leading planted right now, but many of you know Donnie. So we talked to him about that. Uh, that in addition to his other responsibilities, that he would step up and, and kind of provide leadership for all our serve teams. And so he said yes to doing that. He's really excited. If you were at the first team night that we did, I think you felt Donnie's passion for serving. Uh, and so I'm really excited about the leadership that he's going to provide. And if you are interested in serving or interested in you've been serving and you want to kind of take another step, Donnie would be a great person to connect with. As we've been sharing about this, another question that was raised, though, was, hey, do we not care about life groups anymore? Uh, you know, are we, are we focused in just on serving? What about life groups? And I just want to say, oh, no, no, no. We, we care deeply about life groups. And so we want to double down on our life groups. And so we uh, approached Joe right here in the front row who have been working with groups to take on a new position of leadership, providing leadership for all our group's ministries. So he felt like the Lord was saying for him to do that, and that's exciting. And so if you were at the Life Group Leader event uh, a week ago, I think you felt his passion and the vision that God's put in his heart for our life groups to be like little lighthouses throughout our city. That's really exciting. Uh, another step is uh, we asked Ellen Schaub, to transition from part-time to full-time, uh, which she's done. Yes, she's awesome. And you might be like, wow, if she was doing all that part-time, what in the world is going to happen full-time? I know. Watch out, Dallas. So we're excited uh, about that. And then one other thing that I wanted to update you on that I personally am so excited about is a new leadership team we're going to be developing here in our church. Uh, for a long time, uh, we, I guess, let me back up. Um, our church, kind of the way our church works is we have an outside board of directors who, a board of advisors rather, who give us wise counsel, accountability, uh, pastoral care. They're tremendous. Love them. Um, but we've known for a number of years that we need to develop an internal kind of local church overseer team, uh, people from within our church who are here on a day-in, day-out basis uh, in, the, in our body that could help provide leadership for our church to come alongside me and to come along our staff to help our church move towards greater fruitfulness and greater faithfulness in following Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, and every leadership structure in church is trying, it should be trying, to figure out how to follow him more faithfully and more fruitfully. Jesus is perfect, people are not. So when people get involved, uh, it gets a little confusing. And so you need teams and you need leaders and you need people who will step up and help provide that leadership. So we're going to be developing an overseer team uh, this fall, which is really exciting. A big step for us as a church. And so we've been spending time uh, looking through kind of what does the Bible say about church leadership through really the anointed fit areas that I've been talking to you about, about calling and character and chemistry, capacity and competency. And looking at each of those passages of Scripture and studying and being in prayer and talking. And we, through that, we've developed a number of men, uh, both men and women candidates who fit those descriptions, 
who are saying, hey, we feel like God's calling us to take a step into this role, uh, which is exciting. And so I wanted to share that with you today. We'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But that is a really big deal for our church. And it's really exciting because it's going to help us follow Jesus more faithfully and fruitfully. So lots of things to be excited about. Uh, we're going to talk about hope today uh, in this new series, Anchor of Hope. And as a side note, if you've been a part of our church for a while, you know we've been going through the Gospel of Luke for the last two years. Anchor of Hope is going to take us to the end of the Gospel of Luke, which will happen sometime around Thanksgiving. And we'll celebrate this two-year journey that we've been on growing and following Jesus. So that's excited. I want, as we start to think about hope, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you to think about when was the first time in your life uh, an experience, an event, a relationship, what happened the first time when you realized that life does not always have happy endings? When was the first time? Uh, when was the first time that you realized, hey, things may not necessarily be what they appear to be, people may not necessarily be who they appear uh, that they are, life is not always straightforward. Uh, when was the first time for you? I remember for me, the memory that sticks out, and there might be others, but the one that kind of really, I was like, man, I hadn't thought about this in a while, was when I was in seventh grade, uh, my school had a track coach. He was in charge of track and field or helping with track and field, and he had also been a student of my father at the university in town. And so I knew him uh, some through that, and he was helping coach track, and I was trying to do track, and so I got to know him in that context a bit, really liked the guy, he was fun, he was energetic, he seemed like he knew a lot about the sport, and uh, then one day he didn't show up again, and no one really knew where he was, and it was one of those things where the school didn't really talk about it, and as a seventh grader, I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I know something is going on, I just don't know what it is. Well, weeks go by, and the story comes out that he and his wife had gotten divorced, and I guess it just seemed like his best option at the moment. He took his son, who she had custody of, and took him on the run. And they were on the run for 17 years. So much so that he ended up being on the U.S. Marshals' most wanted list. And as these, as these events are unfolding, I'm sitting there being like, I thought that was my track coach. Like, what in the world just happened? That was the first time looking back on it for me where I began to... Uh, think. I don't know who you can really trust. Things aren't always as they appear. Life must not always work out with a happy ending. And there was a crack in my heart that broke open in that moment uh, in the area of hope. And in the area particularly of hope about leaders. But that wasn't the only time that I would experience a leader in my life not end up being who I thought they were. And it really shook my hope in them. I imagine you've had a similar story about hopes being shaken, about realizing, wait, what? Life doesn't always work out like you thought it might. People aren't always who they appear to be. This issue around hope and broken hopes hasn't just affected me or, or you. It's actually something that's going on in our nation in quite a significant way. In 2017, the New York Times ran an article saying the suicide rate in our nation is at a 30-year high, and that each year for the last 15 years, the percentage increase has grown, 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 grown. And they had all these different um, 
leaders and sociologists and philosophers and, and all these people put comments on why they think this is going on when we're not in a time of economic hardship, like we're not in the Great Depression, when we're not in a time where there's like a plague, like the Black Plague, you know, ravaging America, when we're not in a time where there's like the Civil War, where we're fighting, you know, wars happening like right in our, in our land, like why in this period are so many people committing suicide? And different people kind of offered different thoughts. None of them had a really uh, good answer, except for, I thought this was interesting, a sociologist from Harvard named Robert Putnam said, I believe it's because our nation is in a crisis of hope. A crisis of hope. And then in 2017, uh, when the police, I believe it was 2017, when the police shootings happened in Dallas, CNN read a, ran a headline on their website that I would like for us to pull up for you that said, who can make it stop? Is there a leader who can stop the chaos and heal America? So whether it's sociologists at Harvard, it's the front page of the news, or it's our own lives, we realize something is deeply broken in our land and in our lives, and many people are losing hope about it ever getting solved and things ever working out well. Uh, so be encouraged. That's the end of today. And no, just kidding. Uh, it, is, it is a serious topic. Um, we use hope when we talk about hope in three ways. One, we use hope as a verb when we say sentences where it's a, something that we're wanting to work out, wanting to be good in the future, but that is uncertain. My kids every summer say, Dad, I hope we can go to the beach. Every summer they ask that. It's this hope that I don't know if that's going to work out, but this is what I hope. It's a verb. Uh, it can also be a noun used to describe the object of our hope. Our hope is to go to the beach. The beach is the object of our hope. And then verse three, or the third way that we use it is to describe the reason for our hope. The reason for our hope. Uh, going to the beach in June is our only hope of making it there this year. The reason that we might have hope. Those are the three ways, but we use it in a way when we're talking about things that are uncertain. It's like, ah, I don't know. I hope this works out. Or sometimes we use it kind of in a critical way, like, hope that works out for you. That's how we use the word hope. And so you might be like, well, I don't know that hope is that big a deal, uh, you know, in the way that we normally use it. It seems like a nice to have, but not have to have. Seems like the bacon on the hamburger, but not the hamburger. Some of you would argue with me that the bacon is a have to have on the hamburger, but maybe the jalapenos on the hamburger or the uh, relish on the hamburger or whatever it be, not the meat itself. But I would like to put before you that I actually believe that hope is fundamental to who we are, that we are hope-driven creatures, that our hopes that we have today influence uh, incredibly our future tomorrow. And the way that I like to talk about this is to say, if someone came to us today and said, hey, I want to offer you a job for the next two weeks, I want you to work in the basement of my factory. It's going to be dark. It's going to be hot. There's no air conditioning. It's going to be smelly and sweaty. And for 10 hours a day, for the next two weeks, I want you to take a red widget, put it on a blue widget on this assembly line, and I want you to do that over and over and over and over again. And at the end of two weeks, you know what I'll give you for all your work? $2, $2. There's no one here that would take that job. 
you'd be like, ah, no thanks, right? We, 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 wouldn't, we wouldn't be moved to do that. But same job, same dark, smelly, you know, humid basement, same red widget on blue widget, 10 hours a day, whatever. At the end of two weeks, if they said, your, your compensation for this will not be $2, it will be $10 million. Every single one of us would be in the bottom of that factory tomorrow, right, putting, putting the widgets. Why? Because our hope was different. Same circumstances, but a different hope for the future. And it would deeply influence the way that we live. We are hope-based creatures. And while we need hope and we're in a crisis of hope, Jesus sees both our need and our crisis. And he steps forward as the leader that we can put our hope in. And that's what we're going to learn about today. What's interesting is that in the biblical sense, hope, the hope that Jesus gives, when Jesus is the reason for our hope, it is very different than the way that we use hope in the everyday way that we talk. Because remember, we use hope when we're talking about uncertain things, things that we're not sure are going to work out, things that are iffy. But the biblical definition of hope is not a wavering expectation of good, not an uncertain expectation of good, but a certain and steadfast expectation of good. So it moves from being this shaky thing to being the solid foundation that we can stand on, that Jesus leads us into hope for good in the future. And it is a solid hope that we can stand on, that we can build our lives on, that is an anchor of hope for all of us. And as we read today's passage, we see one of the reasons why Jesus is an anchor of hope. And that's this. He is a leader we can confidently put our hope in. Jesus is a leader we can confidently put our hope in. And we all need a leader. We're all looking for a leader to put our hope in. Everyone is trying to follow somebody because we know that we need help. You might be trying to follow yourself because you're like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. But all of us are following somebody. Jesus steps in as the leader that we can put our hope in. We're going to be in Luke 19, 28 through 47. Uh, as we see this, as we study this, I want to read the passage through with you and then come back and make some observations about the characteristics of Jesus demonstrated in this passage that demonstrate he is a leader we can confidently put our hope in. Luke 19, starting in verse 28, after Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying it? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought the colt to Jesus, they put their cloaks on it, and then put Jesus on the cloak. And as he went along, other people spread their cloaks along the road. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down, to the, Mount, down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
They're shouting all these things about Jesus. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for saying these things. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, and they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And then Jesus entered the temple courts, and he began to drive out those who were selling. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And every day Jesus was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill Jesus. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So this is a powerful scene, a powerful story as we lead to the cross, as we lead to the crucifixion and the resurrection, that sometimes we can overlook the significance of what's going on here. And I believe as we look at this passage, what Jesus is demonstrating and what Luke wants us to know is that Jesus is the leader for humanity that we can put our hope in. And the reason I believe that, I want to show you in in the first verse that we looked at, in verse 28, I want you to notice the setting that this takes place in. It is on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus has been on the way to Jerusalem for the last 10 chapters. And Jerusalem, in the biblical sense, is such an important city. For the Jews, they believed that Jerusalem was the center of the world. That it was the place where God's throne was going to extend his reign throughout the planet. That it was the center point of human history, Jerusalem. And Jesus is headed there. Second significant thing about Jerusalem and about the scene that we're reading has to do with another leader 300 years before, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great was the leader of the Macedonian uh, Empire And he built, as a young man, he built one of the largest empires the world has ever seen. And the way he built this empire was through military conquest that he would win battle after battle after battle after battle. People still today even consider him one of the greatest military leaders in human history. He was so successful in taking ground and building out his empire. His kingdom ran from Greece all the way to northwest India. He was undefeated in battle. And he was so successful. He was so powerful in battle. He had so many people looking to him as their leader. He told people that he was the son of God. That he was the son of God. That Zeus had had a child and that child was embodied in Alexander. And 330 years before Jesus uh, rides into Jerusalem, Alexander rode into Jerusalem. 330 years before the Son of God rides into Jerusalem, one claiming to be the Son of God rode into Jerusalem on conquest. And because he had been so successful as he rides into Jerusalem, it's said that he rode in 
on a war horse. And I think I have a, a carving of what uh, people believe that looked like. So you can see Alexander there on a war horse with his arm extended going into battle. They said he rode into Jerusalem. And because he had been so successful and because the citizens of Jerusalem knew the book of Daniel, and there was a prophecy in the book of Daniel that they believed Alexander was fulfilling, that it was God's will for him to be the leader of humanity, they surrendered willingly to his leadership. And Alexander stepped in, claiming to be the son of God, claiming to be the leader of Humanity. Well, that happened 330 years before Jesus walks in, before Jesus actually rides in this same pathway into Jerusalem. Alexander was going in as a king, was going in as a conquering leader. And Luke wants you and I to see that Jesus is going into the center point of his world, the center point of human history in that time, Jerusalem, and he's going in as a king. And as a leader, the third thing that's significant that, that helps us understand this passage is that the events, the order of events, as he goes into the city, he goes into the temple, even things that he's wearing later on, even the release of prisoners, are all uh, congruent with the common Roman celebration of a triumph. Remember, they were under the Roman rule. And when a Roman ruler was coming, having conquered in battle, and he was coming to be honored as a leader amongst his people, he would ride into the city. And people would shout his praises. And he would go into the temple, and he would offer sacrifices. And then they would adorn him. And then there would be prisoners being released. And Jesus is doing something so similar. His hearers and his original audience would have understood. This means Jesus is stepping forward. As our leader, but he's doing it from a very, very different spirit than Alexander did, than the Romans did, even though the Jews were familiar with, the people of God were familiar with in that day. And so when we see him stepping into Jerusalem, when we see him going down the Mount of Olives into the city, what I want you to know, this is one of the reasons why we can put our trust in Jesus, is that he is willingly stepping forward as the leader of humanity. He's willingly stepping forward as the leader of humanity. He's not being forced. He's not been captured. There's nobody twisting his arm. He is going straight into the center of the action. We know from the passages we've read before that he knows his death is coming. And he's going willingly to face that death. And that's so important because if you've ever been a leader, maybe you're a leader in your family, you're a leader at your school, or in your workplace, or in your community. You know, being a leader is hard. Oftentimes people get upset with you. Oftentimes people bring their complaints to you. Oftentimes people are frustrated with you. Oftentimes it's really lonely. Like, leadership is hard. That's why they wrote a book called Leadership Pain, because it's hard. And so sometimes you lose heart along the way. You're like, ah, I don't know. I've, I've done that before. It didn't go well. I'll pass, Right? And God has seen humans rebel against him over and over and over and over again. And each time he tries to step in, push away, push away, push away. And it would have been so easy for him just to kind of wipe the slate clean, start again. But no, Jesus, God with skin on, steps into human history. The creator steps into the story and steps in and steps willingly forward to the place of being the leader of humanity. Jesus willingly became our leader. The second thing that I want to point out to you is the significance of the Mount of Olives 
and the significance of the colt that he rides on. They seem like two minor details that we're like, ah, I don't really, I don't know. But it's very significant in Jesus' day. Because there were prophecies in the book of Zechariah about when the leader would come, when the king that God would send would come, that he would come through the Mount of Olives and he would come riding on a colt. And so as Jesus is doing these very things, he's fulfilling the word of the Lord given long ago. And another reason that we can put our trust and our hope in Jesus as our leader is because he is faithful to fulfill his promises. He's faithful to fulfill his promises. As we're into election season and there are debates going on all the time, I don't know about you, but when I hear people who wanted to be elected to an office uh, talking about what their campaign is going to do, I take it with a grain of salt. Because I actively think they're telling me or they're telling someone what they think someone wants to hear. What they're actually going to do may be very, very different. And you can tell maybe that says something about me that I don't really trust um, politicians too much. So be it. Um, but what I want to point out to you is that when Jesus says something, he is faithful to fulfill it. That he is not one who gives empty promises. He's not one who goes back on his word. He's not one who said, well, I said that, but no. When he gives a word, he is faithful to fulfill it. He's the kind of leader you can put your hope in. There's other significance about the cult that they give to him um, that I want to point out to you that teach us about Jesus' leadership. Not only is it a symbol of him coming faithfully, fulfilling the word of the Lord, but it speaks about the type of leader that he is. And it contrasts with Alexander who rode in on this stately war horse. Jesus has chosen to ride in on this humble donkey. He could have found a stately horse. He could have gone in with kind of a procession and money and fame and all this stuff. And Jesus chose the road that was humble. The war horse was a symbol of a kingdom that moved forward by violence and might makes right. And I'm going to conquer you, so submit to me now. Jesus comes riding in on a colt. It's a symbol of peace. The kingdom of Jesus is a very different kingdom than the kingdom of Alexander. And Luke wants us to see that here. That one of the reasons we want to follow Jesus and we can put our hope in him as our anchor, as our leader... Is because Jesus is humble and he brings a kingdom of real peace. And he brings a kingdom that's not expanded through a show of force, but of a demonstration of love. Now, look in your Bible in verse 34. I'm sorry, 41. In verse 41, there's a scene that happens on the way to Jerusalem as he's riding in, people are shouting. They're celebrating. They're like, man, it is time. It is time to rule. It is time to reign. This is so exciting. And Jesus, when he sees the city, he stops. And look what he does. When he sees the city, he weeps over it. And then he says things that seem like not the kind of things you'd want to say in your acceptance speech to step in as a leader. He said to the city, if you, Jerusalem, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. 
and they will dash you to the ground. He's speaking about the Romans. And you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus going into this city, stepping forward as the leader, knowing that they are going to reject him. And rather than spurning them in that moment, Jesus has compassion on his enemies. God is stepping in with compassion on his enemies who are going to rebel against him and take his very life. And as Jesus says these words about what is in Jerusalem's future, the context for this is underneath the Roman Empire. They didn't want to be there. And so they were doing one violent uprising after another, trying to rebel against Rome, trying to overthrow Rome. And what ends up happening uh, in A.D. 70 is the Romans finally get tired of these little pesky, you know, people, uh, these pesky Jews that keep coming against them. And so they just wipe out the city. Jesus is prophesying this many years ahead, saying this is what's coming. If you continue to choose the kingdom of Alexander, if you continue to choose the way of Alexander, which is violence, which is force, which is we're going to overthrow you. If he said, if you continue to choose that way, you're going to be destroyed. And he said it with tears in his eyes. And he's come offering a different way. A way of peace and a way of healing. And what's significant to me about that is that in this moment, Jesus is saying things that you know the people around him did not want to hear. No one wants to hear that. No one, if you're a speechwriter, would write that as your acceptance speech for some role you've been elected to. But Jesus in that moment it's faithful to say hard words that though people won't like them, it's what they desperately need to hear. And you and I need a leader who loves us enough to disagree with us from time to time and tell us what we need to hear, not just what we may want to hear. And Jesus is that type of leader, and that's another reason that you and I can put our hope in him. He is a leader who's faithful to disagree with his people. And as he's disagreeing, he's doing it with tears in his eyes. Then notice in verse 45, as he enters into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple courts. And there you have the famous scene of him driving out the people that were buying and selling in there and saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now in the Roman triumph, as they entered the city, they would do this very thing, but they would go in and they would offer sacrifice. Jesus is going to offer a sacrifice but it's not going to be some other animal. It's going to be his, himself. And he's going in with a concern for purity. And he's fighting for the purity of the people of God. He's fighting for the purity of the house of the Lord. He's fighting for purity. And what I want to point out to you about Jesus' leadership is that Jesus is a leader who is pure. This is so important. You're never going to wake up and find a story on TMZ where they discovered some dirt on Jesus. When you discover something, it was like, whoa, 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 I can't believe that. No, you will not find anything like that because Jesus is faithful and he's pure. So he's the type of person, not like my track coach that was going to disappear. He's the type of person that you and I can put our hope in. 
And then in verse 47, you know, it's not everybody is excited about this. That the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus. And this is so important when we talk about hope. Why do you think that those uh, people wanted to kill Jesus? Why do you think? As I've thought about it, I think one of the things that comes out is Jesus stepping in as the leader means they are no longer in control. And they weren't happy about that. Man, I so deeply resonate with that because so often I find that I'm happy uh, for God to do what I want so that my life works out the way I want so I'm in control. And he doesn't work that way. And they realize that to really let Jesus be the leader means they're going to have to give up control of their lives. The second thing that they realize, I believe, is that they realize that the kingdom that Jesus is bringing is not the kingdom of Alexander. It's not what they had hoped for. Their hope is in a worldly kingdom marked by the ways of the world. And Jesus is bringing a heavenly kingdom marked by a very different way and a very different spirit. And when they realize that, I believe they're disappointed in God and I believe they're disappointed in Jesus. And so they want to take his life. And that's so important for us when it comes to the area of hope because so often we can experience the pain of life and one of the side effects is that we lose hope in God, just like they did. We grow disappointed with God, just like they did. We grow disillusioned with God, just like they did. We want to keep God at a distance because we want to control our own lives. We want to build our own kingdoms. And we're happy for God to make the kingdom the way that I want it to be And when it doesn't work out the way that I want it to be, right, then we just get so disappointed in him. And so I want to encourage you, even as we're talking about this, if there are areas where you're like, well, I'm actually don't hope in God because I've been disappointed. I understand life is hard. And there's so many things we don't understand. But so often I've seen that so much of our disappointment in God can come from places where we've wanted control and God has not given us control. They've come from kingdoms that we want to build that are not the kingdom that God is building. And like a loving father would not let his children eat ice cream, you know, three meals a day, every day for a year, Jesus is committed not just to giving us what we think we want, but he's committed to doing what's best for us. And so he is a reason, he is a leader we can put our hope in. This message is really personal for me. Um, And the reason why is about 20 years ago, actually 20 years ago this week, uh, was when as a freshman in college, I made the decision at a really pivotal point in my life to follow Jesus. And I want to tell you a little bit about that um, because I think it speaks to this issue. So I told you my seventh grade deal, there's a crack in the area of hope. That begins to grow and grow through my junior high and high school as what I felt like one leader after another in my life disappointed me that they weren't who they said they were, that they weren't fulfilling what they said they were going to fulfill. And then my freshman year, the leader who had most most put my hope in had disappointed me as well, again. And that leader was myself. In losing hope in other people, I always maintained a hope in myself, that I could figure out how to do it, that I could work my way out of it, that I could make something happen. And when I was a freshman, I got into a pit that I couldn't get myself out of. And I realized 
The only person responsible for me being here is me. So I had such a crisis because I was losing hope in the one person I thought I could count on, myself. And I realized I was driving my life into a ditch. And I was on an airplane flying back to school after fall break. And I was studying for a class on film. And in that film class, they referenced something from the Bible. And I pull out the Bible you had to buy for the class. It's a secular university, but these were themes in film. And so I was looking at the Bible, not in a religious quest, but just trying to be ready for the discussion the next day in class. But when I read Isaiah 53, this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament describing Jesus, the God that I'd always wondered about, it was like the blinders came off. And it was like, God, you're real. And you're here. And if that's true, I'll follow you because I'm not doing a good job leading my own life. I need a leader. And what I found in following him was not that my circumstances changed that much. But what did change was what was on the inside. I found that I had hope. I found that I had joy. I found that I had peace. Even though things around me were rocky, I had a solid place on which to stand. I experienced Jesus being the leader who was a better leader of my own life than I was, that I am. Uh, fast forward a little bit. I get to the end of my freshman year, and I'm so excited. I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I hear about this Christian camp that I want to work at that summer. And I'm the type of person that if I get excited about something, I have to tell like 50 people. And so I foolishly uh, told as many people as I knew before I even had this job, I told them I was going to be working at this camp that summer, and I'm excited about it. Well, when I go to the, the day where they give you the application, they talk to you about it, I read over the application and my heart just sinks down into my stomach. Because they had a character section on the application. And they wanted to know some specific things. And as I looked through there, uh, I, I did not fulfill any of their character requirements. Like it wasn't like 9 out of 10, it was 0 out of 10. Zero. I had broken every one of the rules that they had laid out. And so this realization hit me that I'm going to turn this in. They're not going to hire me. I'm going to have to tell everyone that I told I was going to do this that I'm not going to do this. And they're going to ask me why. And then all my dirty laundry is going to get aired to everyone. And this was a real crisis for me in that moment. And I remember just being so anxious and so nervous thinking through, okay, if I tell the truth, I can get really embarrassed and I won't get what I want. If I lie, no one will know but me. And I can fake it and I can get through and then we'll just say, hey, good intentions, you're okay. And I just remember being torn between these two things, these two roads. And before I really knew this was a thing, I was in my, my uh, closet in my dorm with my Bible open and I'm just so nervous, so anxious. And the Holy Spirit highlighted a passage of Scripture to me. It just popped out before I even knew that was like a thing. And it was clear to me in that moment that the Lord, that Jesus, my leader, was leading me to tell the full truth on the application, come what may. And when I realized that in that moment, I found peace. And I found hope because I realized even if the worst case scenario happens and I get all my dirty laundry aired to everyone, it's going to be okay. Because I have a leader I can hope in. And if by some chance I get to go to the camp, it's going to be okay. Because I have a leader I can hope in. So I responded and I said, okay, I'm going to just 
check everything on this list. I go to the interview, and I'm sure they're going to look at it and be like, well, thank you for applying. Better luck next year. And what was surprising to me is the person giving the interview said, we'd actually like to offer you a job. I said, really? I broke all those rules. And they said, yeah, we're actually more concerned about the people who don't tell us what's really going on. But because you brought this forward, we can work with you. And I'm sure I had like three asterisks by my name that summer at camp of like keep six eyes on this guy. Um, but I left that meeting and I was excited about the camp. But what I was more excited about was feeling like, man, in my need, when I didn't know what to do, Jesus stepped in and he led me. And I would have been okay with either outcome because I just knew I had a leader I could trust. Uh, later that year, I met Christina, who's now my wife, um, which was exciting. And again, I'm, I'm an all-in type guy. If you ever need someone to beat in any type of game that you have to make decisions in, play me because I'll go all-in on the first hand. I'll go all-in on the first move. I don't know why. I'm just that guy. With Christina, I was definitely that guy. And I was just like, man, I'm all in. This is amazing. She is amazing. And we dated for about a year. And it was awesome. And I was sure that the Lord had told me that she was the one for me. And we get to the end of the first year. And, man, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to head. I'm, I'm going to get a wife. This is going to be awesome. A bit later, I'm working there for the second round. And she says, hey, uh, I just need to tell you before you go. I don't feel like the Lord wants me to continue in this relationship. And I was just like, what? I was crushed. Just crushed. Pitiful. Because not only was I losing a relationship with her, but I felt like the Lord had told me this. So I felt let down by God. And I was just, I man, I was beside myself. And my life group leader, and I'm so thankful for our life group leaders I'm so thankful for our small groups. I'm so thankful for our life groups that when we're going through these crises, can step in and speak words that are loving and what we need to hear in that moment. And my life group leader said, hey, this is really hard. Like, let's not lie. This is really hard. But I want to challenge you, even while you don't understand what's going on, to put your trust in God, to put your hope in God, even when it feels like everything around you is shaking, even your relationship with him. And again, I was just like, man, I know this is the right thing to do. And I just chose in that moment to say, God, I trust in you. God, I put my hope in you. Again, even though it seems really, really dark all around me. And that year, following that decision, man, was one of the most painful of my life. I was like a pitiful puppy dog. And it was one of the most powerful, life-transforming years with God. Because in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my brokenheartedness, the Lord met with me. And I realized again, man, come what may, I have a leader I can put my hope in. Well, we get back together, or Christine and I started to get back together a year later through a turn of events that I can tell you about sometime, not right now. Uh, but we're getting back together, and I have this fear, right? I'm like, man, I'm excited about this, but I don't want this same thing to happen again. So I'm, 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 I'm reticent. I'm not all in. Uh, maybe one of the only times in my life where I'm like, ah. And I was teaching at that time. I'd have to wake up really early because we had to be at school really early. Wake up really early to spend time with the Lord. Wake up and uh, go outside to try and stay awake. I don't know if any of you have ever had that experience. And I fell asleep uh, in my quiet time. Just took a nap. Who knows. Uh, but while I was asleep, I had a spiritual dream. 
And in that dream, the Lord spoke to me through the Holy Spirit and said, Zach, I want you to know I don't prostitute your heart. I'm not just jerking it here or there. I'm a leader you can put, my tr- put your trust in. And I woke up and I was like, well, for once I'm happy I fell asleep in my quiet time. And I knew what to do. And I still didn't know the outcome. But I knew that Jesus was a leader I could put my hope in. And I share all those things with you because I realized this week that there are many in our midst that might be feeling like, man, I feel like as the driver of my life, I've run right into a ditch and I don't know what to do. And I want you to know Jesus is a leader you can put your hope in. And some others of you might be carrying things that you're feeling like, man, I need to bring this into the light. I need to tell someone this thing that I've done. And you may be afraid of missing out or losing out or being embarrassed. And I just want to encourage you. Jesus is a leader you can put your hope in. And you can trust him with all your dirty laundry and bring that out. And he will be with you. I can't promise you the outcome, but I can promise you his goodness will work and lead in your life. I know that many of us might be in relationship dynamics or might be in work dynamics or other situations where it feels like, God, I I feel disappointed in you or I don't know how this is going to work out. And I just want to tell you, even in the darkness and even in the wondering, Jesus is a leader that you and I can put our hope in. So with that, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close today by taking communion like we do each week. We're going to go to God as we take communion together. And as we take communion, as we celebrate his body and his blood, and we remember his sacrifice for us, I want to let this stir you up in the area of hope by reminding you, you have a leader you can put your hope in. As we're doing that, I want to speak to a specific uh, group of people in our church. If you're here today, and as we're talking, you're realizing, man, I don't know that I've ever made that decision to have Jesus be my leader. Maybe you have had Jesus as your co-pilot or ways, like you listen to it when you want to and you kind of do your own thing when you want to. Or maybe you, Jesus, just not at all. You might feel like God's very far from you. I want you to know Jesus loves you. And we want to challenge you and encourage you to make the decision to say, Jesus, you're not my co-pilot. You're not in the back seat. You're not an afterthought. I want to make you the driver of my life. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my King. And that's such a significant step because as you begin to follow Him, hope and peace and joy, even in the painful circumstances of life, there'll be hope, reason for hope in your life. And so in just a minute, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand, not because we're going to put your name on a billboard or call you up on stage, but I find there's something powerful when God's doing something in our life to make some sort of physical statement about a spiritual reality that's at work within us. And so I'm going to invite you to raise your hand, and we'll pray together. And if you're here today, and it's like, man, I made that decision to follow Jesus uh, when I was a child or a number of years ago, but I've fallen away, I've gotten off track, I've gotten sidetracked, and I'm trying to make my way back to God. I want to give you an opportunity today to do the same thing. I want you to know God's not mad at you. God's not far from you. He is running down the road just like Jesus is stepping into Jerusalem. He wants to step into your life as the leader that you and I need that we can put our hope in. So if everyone could bow their heads and close your eyes just for this moment of prayer. And if that's you, if you um, today, you just know, man, I need to make the decision to follow Jesus. For him to be my leader, for him to be my king, I want to invite you to raise your hand. 
or if you're wanting to recommit your life to Christ and following Christ, I want to invite you just to raise your hand and we're going to pray together. Praise God. Praise God. If you have your hand in the air, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I just encourage our whole church uh, to pray this along. It's a great prayer to pray each and every week. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're the leader I can put my hope in. I choose to follow you as my king, as my hope all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, the officiants will come forward and you can come take communion when you're ready. my heat. 